Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakumullah khair for joining us for another episode of Sincerely Yours. Uh, this is your brother Ibrahim Hindi with my co-host Sheikh Abdullah Duru. Sheikh Abdullah, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm good, I'm good. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi everyone. How's everyone doing? I hope all of you are well. Alhamdulillah, Sheikh, you've really upgraded your background. Every week it gets a little bit better, a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just moved, so... Alhamdulillah, add a little spice to it, a little uh, Ghanaian spice to it in the back there. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, getting ready for Ramadan too, I'm sure. And, Alhamdulillah, uh, oh, yes, Alhamdulillah. Inshallah. So everyone, like always, we want to hear from all of you. Uh, throughout this whole uh, live session, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions. Uh, put them in the chat. Say, give us your salam. Let us know where you're coming from. We love to hear from everybody. We love to know that you know we've got an audience uh, around the world and to feel that love and connection with the entire ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So let us know in, in the in the chat where you're coming from. Uh, I see Tahseen from Columbus, Ohio. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, Sir Fatima from North Carolina. Assalamu alaikum. I see Brother Blue Man from Toronto, Canada. Mashallah, representing Toronto. Um, let us know where you're coming at us from. We want to hear from all of you. Sheikh, how's the weather? down in texas oh man it's cold it's cold alhamdulillah it's a lot of tofik it's cold it's there's some sleep uh in windier in kind of chicago style you oh. know but alhamdulillah we'll manage alhamdulillah. Uh, i'm just gonna plug in my headphones i think we're getting some feedback on my mic alhamdulillah alhamdulillah so it seems like it's the canadian invasion today again man <laughs> I'm the love. <laughs> it's good. We need to get somebody from outside, outside of the West. Somebody over in Serbia or somebody over in Malaysia or yeah, Angola, absolutely. Inshallah. If you have any suggestions, Sheikh, let us know. Come in soon. Inshallah. I see. Assalamu alaikum, Stratisha from Michigan, Sister Leila from Morocco. Mashallah, all over the all over the world, we have people tuning in. Mashallah. Brother, Brother Ali is saying, you know, you're saying it's cold, but that's pretty warm for us. And he's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, Ali who? The troublemaker Ali? <laughs> man, Allah bless him, man. Ali, man. Mashallah. All right, Sheikh, we have a great program, inshallah, and a great guest today. Um, a friend of mine, actually. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm controlling the invites and I'm bringing in all my friends, alhamdulillah. <laughs> Uh, Sheikh Dawood Bhatt, he, is a, he has a Bachelor's of Arts in Da'wah and Usul al-Din from the Islamic University of Medina and a Master's of Arts uh, in Islamic and Other Civilization from the Isla International Islamic University of Malaysia. He is currently the Director of Community Outreach and Education at the Islamic Community Center of Milton and he is a Muslim Chaplain at the Ma uh, Milton District Hospital and the Maplehurst Correctional Complex. With that, please welcome... Our guest, Sheikh Dawood, but Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Dawood. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah khair for joining us. Inshallah, tabarakallah. How's things, Sheikh Abdullah? Inshallah. I remember you walking around the hallways of Da'wah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to see me and uh, a few of the other brothers, alhamdulillah. Yeah, mashallah, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I'm doing good. 
doing really good. Just trying to figure out all this tech stuff. I was messing around with my camera yesterday, and for some reason, I can't get the actual camera to work today. And you look so crisp there. Mashallah, tabarakallah. <laughs> I know. Like, this guy's making Canadians like 4K. Look He's making 4K, Canadians yeah. look bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my little, my little son here. He just puts it all together, and I just sit down and do my thing and point and blame. And you know how we do as fathers. <laughs> how you doing? Alhamdulillah, doing good, doing good. Um, busy business as usual, alhamdulillah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I, I laughed and chuckled when I heard you say uh, it's cold. <laughs> it's cold in Texas. Yeah, that's right. That's, that should be the title of a book, man. It's cold in Texas. You know, <laughs> unexpected, you know. Alhamdulillah. We could send you some socks if you need a winter hat. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. I think I may get too hot then. So it's just kind of, you know, we got to wear our options, man. Depends on where the socks are coming from. You know, it's got to be the right amount of thickness. You know, so, uh, you can send me those beaver tails, though. Those beaver tails pastries. Oh, my cheat day, quote unquote. How's the family been? Alhamdulillah, no complaints, man. No complaints whatsoever. You know, we're, we're here. We're healthy. I was able to go out in the cold weather and play around with the kids a little and you know alhamdulillah no complaints Allah's kind alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. it's good Sheikh Ibrahim what's new man what's new 20 kilometers away from me <laughs> this is the only way I can get to talk to you you're so busy like I gotta invite you on a live program and then then I can actually talk to you we did something like this last year in Ramadan for your masjid as well <laughs> did we yeah subhanAllah we did, in fact. Yeah, time flies, man. Yeah, yeah. It just yeah. These past two years, especially, feel like ten years. Yeah. <laughs> like those last year, I'm like, no, it couldn't have been. But yes, yeah, Subhanallah, it was. Sheikh, yeah. how are you doing, man? Alhamdulillah, doing good. Um, you know, just waiting for summer to come around. Uh, you know, just keep dreaming of your Umrah trip that's coming up, and uh, wishing I was going along with you. But Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, I just came back not too long ago, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I'm going to try to hold these sessions, inshallah, from uh, during Umrah. We'll see how that goes, inshallah. If our, if our Canadian internet is bad, I, I don't know what the internet over there is going to be like. But no, you should be good. You should be good, inshallah. Inshallah. So, Sheikh, you know, part of the, the whole purpose of these sessions is really to, to help, um, you know, everyone who's watching get to know their mashayikh better and get to know the students of knowledge better and so maybe you can start us off by telling us like how did you get started on this path how did a young half pakistani half portuguese kid decide to uh pursue knowledge and and uh come into the field of da'wah um i think uh it was frustration honestly um it was a desire to study Islam and to learn Islam, but not actually having access to it in our community. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just getting frustrated with that. Like growing up in Montreal back in the early 80s, um, we didn't have any imam who, to my knowledge, even till now, who was like an actual learned imam. We had hufav, we had some people who had, you know, learned some Quran. But we didn't really have anyone who was like 
traditionally educated to be an imam. And then the couple of people did come in didn't speak English. You know, they came from other countries like Egypt, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, you know, Morocco. Uh, we have a big Moroccan, Tunisian, Algerian community in Montreal. Uh, so, subhanAllah, like the people that did come in that were a little learned didn't speak English. And so we couldn't connect and we couldn't relate. And anything that we'd want to learn, we'd learn either through broken English or through someone translating it. Um, and then there was a cultural barrier as well. So it was like, okay, you know, my brother, I remember my brother got in so much trouble for showing up at the masjid for Quran class wearing his Montreal Canadiens hockey jersey. And it was like, you're supporting the kuffar, this is haram, how dare you wear this in the masjid, you can't pray salah wearing this, when you get home, change and then pray your prayer again. And it was just like, subhanAllah, like, it just, it didn't make sense, right? So I was a little frustrated. And then alhamdulillah, when I was uh, 11 years old, we had an imam that uh, uh, originally from Pakistan, graduated from Medina, did his master's in Mecca you know, came through Muslim World League to Canada uh, for three months only. And then three months turned into six months, turned into a year, two years, and he's still in Montreal, still an imam in Montreal. So he ended up staying. But what really intrigued me there was like his akhlaq, like his morals, mm -hmm. his way of like connecting with us and to us without even speaking our language. So he connected like through me and my brothers and stuff by asking us to teach him English. So we used to like sit with him and tell him, okay, this is a car. And he's like, this is a car. <laughs> he's like trying to pronounce it. And subhanAllah, it was nice because we felt, wow, this is an imam, but he lowered himself to our level as like kids and asked us for help. And that was like the very first time where it was an imam not being top down, you know, like forceful upon you, telling you what to do. And so that the frustration of not having someone who spoke our language in you know, coupled with the fact that his akhlaq was so awesome. I'm like, you know what? I got to go study in Medina when I get older. Because I felt like he's from Medina. That's where that's where the knowledge is. And so that was like the motivation, subhanAllah. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally feel where you're coming from, Sheikh. But, you know, as a Maple Leafs fan, I have to say, Kicking people out of the masjid for wearing a Habs jersey is something I can get on. I can get on on board with that. <laughs> it's okay. We we let you Toronto Maple Leafs fans say all you want because your words are meant. They mean nothing. They're just a bunch of fluff. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't. Have, we don't have the track record to respond. So I'm just gonna have to let you let you have it. We are where American is listening to two Canadians complain about sports, and he's like, "Man, these guys don't know what they're talking about." <laughs> well, I mean, for for Sheikh, Sheikh Abdullah and, and folks from Texas, we are the uh, we're the Dallas Cowboys of hockey. So the Dallas Cowboys of hockey. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Any other sports? Just asking. We're just like, or the New York Knicks of basketball. Like just losing against all odds. <laughs> Isn't basketball a Canadian sport? Like, didn't it start in Canada? Oh, shots fired! Yeah, how was the All-Star game? Fire. How did the All-Star game go last weekend in Canada? In Canada? Was it? <laughs> oh, you know, just because you guys host it there, that's because your COVID regulations are non-existent, and we over here mm. have healthcare that um, the government runs, so we have to follow all the rules and regulations. <laughs> oh, okay, nice, nice, nice. Touche, touche. Okay, 
All right, all right. I heard you mention cars. So the title of uh, the tagline for it was like, an imam that can fix your car. What yeah. was that about? I don't like what to let my that? community know. So I don't mind if the rest of the world knows as long as everyone in my community does not watch this. It's our little secret. Don't worry about it, inshallah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, prior to going to Medina, I actually uh, graduated as an auto mechanic, also known as a technician, an automotive technician. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I worked for Volkswagen for some time. I was offered a job uh, with General Motors right when I got accepted to Medina. And I was like, well, I'm going to go study in Medina instead of uh, go work at the General Motors head office. So. Alhamdulillah. But yeah, cars has always been my thing. And uh, anytime I can get my hands dirty, uh, I enjoy it. Alhamdulillah. I just don't like That's telling my community because then they come and they're like, uh, Sheikh, I have this problem with my car. Okay, diagnose it. And then like, oh, can I bring it over at eight o'clock tomorrow morning? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sheikh Hazefa, who who's also uh, an imam at the same masjid as Sheikh Dawood, he said I should ask you, would you rather... Um, you know, fix a car with a wrench or deal with family counseling? Fix a car. <laughs> fix a car. Hands with, down. Fix a car with a blindfold on. What car do you drive, Chef? Oh, come on. Why you got to put me in shame? I got to put you <laughs> on. <laughs> so there's this thing where mechanics fix everyone else's car and their car needs fixing, right? Oh, so. Uh, oh. I actually drive a 2018 Honda Accord. Mashallah. Alhamdulillah. That's, okay. Alhamdulillah. It's a family car. Anything. Family car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what, what would be your dream car then? A 1978 Triumph Spitfire in candy apple red with a black interior and a wood dashboard, chrome bumpers, chrome mags, um, top down drive through the countryside with my wife with no hijab so no one could see her <laughs> oh, you, just forget, you, you forgot to add three-wheel motion hydraulics no, <laughs> no, 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 no. i want original completely original <laughs> I this car. 78 spitfire that's my dream car wow <laughs> is it a realistic i'm mean, like can you realistically attain that i mean are you working towards that or is it just something that's like you know uh, it's doable. Uh, you know, there's always uh, one or two that go for sale every month or so uh, in the range of low end between five to ten thousand. Obviously, it needs a little bit of work, but uh, 1978 car, you're always going to have to work on it. If you go like fully restored, you're looking at uh, tens of thousands, but I wouldn't do that. I would just get the one where I could just work on it myself because, yeah. I'd like something. Have you ever done that? Like, have you ever done? I mean, because you know, working on. I think the process of working on it is 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 the pleasure, right? Going through that process and learning new things. And am I correct in that assessment? Yeah, I once restored uh, the first car I ever restored was a '79 Camaro. Like, mm, okay, entirely re restored. It belonged to one of my friends, um, and we restored the entire thing. Um, that was fun. You know, V8, big block, uh, alhamdulillah, lots of power, put in a shift, uh, shift, nice shift kit and uh, enjoyed it, man. It was like 400, I think you got 440 horsepower out of that. 
uh, yeah, back in the day, that, they were talking about like 20 years ago. So that, yeah, that was fun. Alhamdulillah. Wow. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. I'm going to ask you, a, it's going to be a weird question. You got a problem but, with your car, don't you? <laughs> no, no, no. I asked when we get off his Alhamdulillah. I want you to kind of dig deep. This is going to be a kind of a psychological question. What quality or qualities do you see that you liked within being a mechanic that is connected to the work that you do as a chaplain and as an imam? Like, what do you see that's like, wow, because I was a mechanic in, in my previous days or currently, that has helped me and furnished me into being what I am today to where I can flourish or I see that Allah has gifted me with this. You see the connection? You understand the question? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, simple answer, diagnostics. Like mm -hmm. my specialization in mechanics is diagnostics and electronics. And uh, figuring out the, the root cause to a problem and how it, where, where it came from. So you basically got to backtrack, figure it out, and then try to find your way down to, to, to figure out a solution to that problem, uh, both on cars as well as, you know, helping people in the community. Um, for me, it's always been that way where, you know, even my wife talks about it. She's like, you're very technical. You could analyze things, figure it out, put things in place. And it's all happening up here, like do, 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 one after the other. Uh, so, yeah, for me, that, uh, you know, diagnostics, electronics has definitely helped. Uh, you know, when people come in with problems. Uh, you know, I can I can very, very quickly just by listening to them talk and rant or, or express themselves, uh, I could figure out quite a few uh, issues that are going on and, and where they probably came from. And then it's just a matter of asking certain questions to figure out the root cause. So, yeah. Well, the, 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 the pink striped elephant is in the room right now because we want to know what are some of those techniques, Shake? You're going to hold back on us, man. Come on. Like, what are some of those, for instance, I'm going to create a scenario. Brother comes in, complains that, you know, um, his, his, his brother comes in and complains that his child is involved with the opposite gender, right? And his child is 20 and he's not praying. And he thinks this has been going on for a long time. He just comes in and he just lets loose on his on his only child, his only boy. So what are some things that you could that you you would advise maybe the family friend or the imam, let's say the imam or the community leader, the influential person in that community to look at or look for to see. The reason I'm asking, I'm presenting the scenario with the parent and the child, because one thing that I realized is that subhanAllah. You know, I remember, you know, I have to ask the parent, you know, you know, because they're coming to me and they're talking to me like, talk to my child, talk to my child, talk to my child. I'm like, um, I think I need to talk to you first. Yeah. Right. So what, what would you what would you advise, you know, the influential leaders in management in regards to scenarios such as that, like parent child situation? I would actually focus on the parents. Um, I'd be like, you know, tell me about your day. Tell me what you do. Uh, what does what a typical day in your household look like? And uh, try and figure out what those parents do 
and how long they've been doing certain things. Then I would also like, you know, probe and ask like, uh, you know, at what age did you start doing certain things with, with your child, right? Islamic things, classes, even dua, you know, like one thing uh, that I learned from my wife is you got to start really young. The very first diaper change that my wife did at home for our first child, she said the dua of going into the washroom when taking off the diaper and putting it on, said the dua when you're coming out of the washroom. And I'm like, man, that starts from a young age. So putting that together, I'm like, okay, at what age did you start this with your children? Because if the father is coming in and going, yeah, you know, this is the case with my son, what do I do? It's a matter of saying, well, wait a second, what got your son to that point in the first place? And then you backtrack. Right, right. So like, what yeah. do you do as parents in your house? Right? What, is, what, what's, what does a dean mean to you? Right? Do you call the event at Fajr time and wake up your entire family? Or are you like, mm. oh, you know, they need to sleep, they need to rest? Because if that's the case, then your children are reading from you that you're not prioritizing the dean in the first place. So why should they? Right? Mm -hmm. Things like yeah. that, where you just you backtrack. Backtrack. How, how, how cooperative do you find community members in regards to that? Like another scenario is the wife comes and I want to complains that she comes in vents or lets you know about the current situation. That's not going well with her husband. When you summon, firstly, as an arbitrator, mashallah, is it advisable to summon the husband? And if or when you do, what's the rate or percentage of husbands that actually come and sit down to go through this arbitration process? For the most part, brothers do end up coming in. Either that or they'll just talk to me over the phone. Um, but yeah, what happens is, is uh, I usually ask a certain set of questions that I have lined up that, you know, if, if I hear this in the story, then ask that. Um, and what I like to do is try and find, like I said, try and find where the problem started. So I'll be like, how many hours do you guys spend at home together okay. as a family? How many hours is the husband at work? Uh, do you work? I'll ask the, you know, the mother, do you work? Um, and if she says, yes, I'll be like, when did you start working? Right. She okay. says, I don't know, seven years. OK, seven years. Why did you have to start working seven years ago if you never worked prior to that? Well, because uh, we bought a house. When did you buy a house? Ten years ago. OK, so how come three years after you bought it, you needed to go to work because it was being too much of a burden on my husband. So, you know, I started going to work. And then from there, it's like, OK, do you feel that your children started to change? When you were always at work, your husband was always at work and no one is ever at home with the children. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, so the root cause of your problems is the fact that you guys bought a house that you couldn't afford. Mm, subhanallah. And so Mashallah. one of the solutions is sell the house or downsize, buy something smaller or rent. Just sell it, move out, live in something where it's affordable where only the father has to go to work. He can come home and spend the rest of his time with the family. You can enjoy the extra money going on vacation, doing things together. The pinnacle of success for us here in North America is not to own a house, even though society tells us that, you know, that's like ultimate happiness and mashallah, tabarakallah, you're doing good. You own a house. You're leaving something for your children. None of our children care about our house once they get married and move out, right? So, yeah, that's, that, that is... Uh, a very common example of, of people's problems where the problems start when they purchased a house they just couldn't afford. It's not about buying a house. It's about 
purchasing things you can't afford. And then the strain that comes on the family, right? No one's ever at home. Kids come home, they bring friends, they start getting involved in drugs, they hang out later after school because they know their parents aren't coming home till six o'clock. So they have two and a half hours to chill. You know, they go places, they meet people, they do things. Uh, there's no one watching over them. Parents come home, they're tired, even though they're home, kids are in the room, you know, doing things they're not supposed to do. And so it's like a vicious circle, right? And that, that lots of families get stuck in. Wow, subhanAllah. Yeah, mashallah. I like how you went through the process. I mean, you know, I think that's important because, you know, sometimes there will be family friends that, you know, he's 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 the beginning or she is the beginning of the journey of this couple going to someone like yourself. So they may need to understand some of those probing questions to be able to call you and give you like an update or you know, things of that nature, which happens a lot, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, it's really going back to the seed, right? The seed of the problem rather than looking at the, the, the actual, you know, the actual descriptions or symptoms of the problem. Zuck, yeah. for that. I think one of the things that helps as well is uh, I do chaplaincy in uh, maximum security prison, uh, just <laughs> like five minutes away from my house. And, um, you know, dealing with inmates, like they've done things in their life that they now regret. So you learn, I learn a lot from the inmates and what they say and the things that they ask. And they ask the most simple, basic things. But you realize this is a person who had everything, lost everything, but now has nothing but is richer than ever because they found Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at a time when they have nothing. And their only hope, their only support is the fact that they can pray. They sometimes don't know what direction to pray in because there might not be a window, so they can't see outside. They don't know what time of the day it is because they're not allowed to have watches or clocks in their cells. But at least like they pray, they recite Quran, you know, they, they do whatever they can. And they, you, you see them, like some of them are tattooed up, like face down, subhanAllah. Like I remember once, uh, you know, talking to, to a brother who had tattooed on his neck, fear Allah. <laughs> and, and he's like, <laughs> like, fear Allah tattooed on his neck. And he's like, oh, brother, I've been Muslim my whole life, you know. Uh, mm. But he's like, I never felt like I was a real Muslim until I came to prison. And I was like, Allah, mm. Allah, 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 Allah. Mm. But what I learned from that is when we let go of the dunya, right? Like, like we were saying before, going back to the root cause. The dunya itself distracts us so much from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you let go of that and you simplify in your life and you only have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you actually feel liberated. You feel happy. You feel free. You know, you feel like I don't need anything else. You know, some of them are like, I don't care if I never own a car again. I don't care if I, you know, one brother was telling me last time, I don't care if I ever get out. He goes, Alhamdulillah, I have food. I have a, a bed to sleep on and I have my Quran and I pray. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> you know? So like we have so many things in life and we still complain, but we haven't really found the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes. Yeah, that's deep, man. Uh, Shaykh Ibrahim, if you mind, I just want to ask more. Yeah. No, for cover. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, you know, putting me on, on, on the line here, man. <laughs> no, Alhamdulillah, because, you, you know, you, you're speaking for a lot of people and that's, mashallah, why we want to bring different people on here is because we want them to speak for those that may not be able to be spoken for. And then also for them to understand the life of a person that's trying to call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to understand 
the different nuances that one may go through and the different talents that they have and share. And to just let the world know, mashallah, tabarakallah, of how we can all work together. But, you know, you mentioning inmates is a whole other chapter and segment, really. You know, subhanAllah, when I came back from El Medina, actually, before I went to El Medina, uh, this brother became Muslim and, you know, he just got out of prison and his grandmother wanted him out of the house. So he ended up living with me. I got accepted to Medina. I left. He went and lived with some other brothers. And uh, predestination of Allah, he went back to, got involved and went back to prison. Graduated from Medina, came back, lived at a little house next to Muhammad Imashin in Houston. Guess who just gets out and we end up living together again? Bro. Oh, <laughs> My man, Mujahid, man. And this brother, you know, in, very intelligent brother, you know, subhanAllah, wanted to learn Braille. But there was points where it was so hard for him to get back into the system. I remember one time he told me, he said, man, I just want to go back to jail, man. So what are you talking about? He said exactly, similar to what you said. He said, man, I have, I have my own bed. I have my own room. I have everything. I don't, you know, all of this distraction is just like for what? He was trying to become a journeyman, you know, electrician. It was just difficult for him, you know, but him understanding kind of what distractions were because he's been in an, you know, I don't want to say solitary confinement, you know, soft solitary confinement um, in a beneficial way, kind of like Etikaf. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like you, you, you have time to think and ponder. And as the name of this book is indistractable. Right. You're not distracted at all because you allow, as some youth would say, boredom. They embrace it because they don't. It's time to think introspective, to think, what am I doing for Allah, for my mother, for so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good that you're voicing for for the inmates. What would you with that? What would you advise like you know, uh, the youth? I don't even want to say troubled youth, like the youth, the seasoned Muslim community that may, when they hear that someone has come out of prison, it's automatically negative. The society, you know, he's a felon. Well, he, his or her opportunity for getting a job is, is, is not, it's not as, is, the opportunities are very slim for them. And then they go to the Muslim community and it's like the opportunities are slimmer for them. So what would you advise the, the seasoned Muslim community, the youth, you know, in, 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 in regards to this demographic? And also getting involved in this work of going to help and, and call, you know, to educate those inmates. If they had the opportunity to go once a month or things of that nature. So those two questions. First off, I would tell the community in general, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. And understand that we learn the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a reason. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ar-Rahman, ar-Rahim, and he is al-Afu, right? Uh, and, you know, he's forgiving. Then why aren't we? Like if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives and he says in the Quran that he forgives and has the ability to forgive any sin, but he refuses to forgive shirk then why don't we have a little bit of that softness in our hearts as well? Mm. Like, don't treat other people. Yeah, they made a mistake. We all make mistakes. Some people's mistakes are bigger. Some people's mistakes are smaller. Some people's mistakes are the same as everyone else's, but they got caught and other people didn't. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. some, some people tax evasion, right? 
or fraud, or they might not declare certain things. And, you know, one person goes to jail, another person doesn't. And it's like, what makes them different than you? you the fact that they got caught and you didn't. So you're not very different than this person, right? So we got to keep that in mind uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful. And the Prophet was sent as a mercy to all of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that means that our mission in life is not to judge people, it's to help guide them. So we're supposed to be there for them. Right? I don't really remember your second question right now. No, 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 mashallah. It's, it's really, um, I think it's, uh, it was more of what would you advise like the young, I think it's the same thing because, yeah. you know, would you advise them to go out to these, you know, these correctional facilities and go and see for themselves if they had the opportunity to? Yeah, if if they're able to, because um, I know here in Canada, it's very different than the U.S. Um, so if they're able to, or uh, what one of the imams does over here, he's a chaplain, um, but he also has this organization that uh, helps or gets together. He gathers ex-convicts, if we could use that term, right? People who are released from prison, you know, they've changed their lives. Every single year, he holds like a gala to raise some funds to help people that are coming out that are, you know, getting back into society. And subhanAllah, that's just amazing because when you see some of the achievements that these brothers and sisters have done from prison, and then they get out and they're completely changed. And they've achieved things that are far more superior than a lot of us. It's like, subhanAllah, why are you even judging them? Like they've changed and that in itself is a blessing from Allah that they've received that we still haven't. That they went through some hardship that shook them up so much that they left the bad in their life and turned to Allah. And so we should admire that. You know, we really, really need to admire the fact that some of them have found Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we're still chasing after, like you said, you know, that, that brother. People just chasing after the dunya. And for them, it's like, we're, we're, we're living here temporarily, and that's it. Al-Hakmu mm. Takafu, you know, you've been diverted by gathering things in abundance. Yeah. You know, subhanAllah. subhanAllah. Just want to remind everyone watching, inshallah, if you have any questions for our guest, Sheikh Dawood, you can put them in the chat, inshallah. Hopefully, we'll be able to get to your questions. There's also a link in the description of this video um, or this podcast where you can uh, click on it and give us your feedback, inshallah. If there are people you want us to invite, if there are, um, you know, different elements you want us to incorporate into these sessions, you know, we want to hear from you. We do take and read all of your feedback seriously, inshallah. Uh, you know, Sheikh Dawood, just to continue this conversation, I just think it's it's an amazing um, topic and conversation. I, I, I don't have as much experience as you, but I have seen some similar instances like what both you and Sheikh Abdullah mentioned of people who almost like prefer to be in prison just just because you know they're they're focused on their dean there and that sometimes when they when people get out it's so difficult that they might end up getting back going back to that previous life um would you say like to the muslim community do you think that we bear kind of a responsibility there because they'll come out of prison they'll try to get into the muslim community and then people treat them differently. And then almost like we're pushing them back mm. to that life. Do you think we bear a responsibility as a community 
for, for those kinds of situations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I talk about this with uh, another brother who goes in with me. Uh, he's been he's been a chaplain at hospital at um, at prisons for over twenty years now, twenty two or twenty three years, um, and he he does it just out of the kindness of his heart. Subhanallah. He's a Nigerian brother, you know, he's an electrician. He doesn't take a single dollar for it. Um, he doesn't even let the you know the the prison buy Qurans and stuff for the inmates. He will use his own wealth. And, you know, myself, what we do, like, he's trained me this way. He's like, don't take anything from anyone. We buy it ourselves and we will provide it to the inmates, right? So um, one of the things that I talk to him about all the time is the fact that we need a system to help our Muslim brothers and sisters not necessarily reintegrate, but just get them on their feet, get them going for the first few months. Um, And, you know, we've discussed, like, how many Muslim businesses do we know of loads lots and lots of muslim businesses like there's so many brothers and sisters who have stores restaurants you know different types of businesses where they can employ part-time one of these brothers or sisters that comes out of prison right um and then we thought of like a masjid that maybe has small rooms for for lodging and it doesn't even have to be in the masjid building it could be a separate building Right where they can either reside or an actual home, where each person just gets a room, right, and they get to pray together. And there's like a designated imam that stays there on site or spends the entire day there before going home in the evening. You know, teaches them about the deen. They go through like a three-month course on Islam. You know, covering various different topics. We pray salah in jama'ah in congregation together. Every evening we recite Qur'an together and learn the Qur'an. You know, these are things that we really need. Those first few months that someone is released, there's two things that they'll do the day that they're released. Either they're going to walk in the direction that they used to be in and call up their friends that they used to hang out with and they get right back into the same trouble and nonsense they were in before. Or they have somewhere else to go, someone else to call. Who's going to help them? And the problem is there's usually no one to call because their family doesn't want to associate themselves with this person anymore. You know, they're like, we're ashamed of them or, uh, or it's like, okay, come home, but we're going to move. We're going to go somewhere else, which sometimes is fine. You know, change of environment is absolutely important. But when you busy them with things like work, like how many Muslims, you know, brothers who own restaurants, you can hire them to work in the restaurant. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. They've done their time. They deserve to, you know, alhamdulillah, the time that they serve, they serve. Now they deserve this chance to prove to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they're able to live in society and do right and do good. So, yeah, there's definitely a need and, you know, our our communities should uh, really start thinking, you know, alhamdulillah, we made a lot of progress. We, we, We used to complain 20 years ago that all we have is masajid and we don't have any systems for the Muslim community. Now you have, you know, Yaqeen Institute, you have other Islamic institutes. We have, you know, small little clinics that are opening up around the world and stuff like that for Muslims. There's, there's progress, but I think we need to really identify certain things that um, is a responsibility on our shoulders. Like when someone is in need, we're supposed to help them. Right. But, if we don't, then who's who's to blame? Like, who does an inmate call? 
Like how many times it's happened so many times because our mustard is so close to the prison where, you know, brothers that were in for, it could have been anything like a brother punched the wall in his house. Cops were called, you know, no charges or a charge was laid, but you know, the person was found innocent, but maybe have spent a week, two weeks, a month in prison until the court case hearing and everything was dropped. Now, where does this person go? They come to the mustard. And when they say, I, I was just released from prison because this person was angry and punched the wall, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone starts to judge them. You know, board members or management might say, no, they can't stay in the mustard. They're dangerous. They might steal the donation boxes. You know, they might steal the sound equipment, the audio equipment, the cameras. It's worth money, right? They might take it. But this person doesn't want to do that. You know, this person just wants to take a shower, put on a fresh pair of clothing, because the clothes that they're wearing when they're released is the clothing that they were wearing when they got arrested, right? That may be two or three months old sitting in a bag and never, ever washed. And then subhanAllah, they just want to sleep a little bit, have some food, and then they'll figure out what to do after that. But if we don't help them, then they end up on the streets. They end up in shelters, right? They end up meeting people that do drugs or they offer them jobs like, hey, you know, uh, I know someone who steals cars and, you know, all you have to do is drive the car to the shipping yard and then they'll stick it on a ship and, you know, it's off. All you got to do is drive. So you're driving stolen cars. Like, subhanAllah, it's crazy, right? Whose responsibility is it to help them? We got to do that. If someone comes to us, we need to help them somehow, right? Yeah, well, what, what was what was the... Um... Firstly, shout out, may Allah bless those brothers, the Nigerian brother you're speaking about yourself and the brothers and sisters that go, they don't care about a radar, whether they're under the radar or not. They just go and help this underserved community. It's very underserved, you know, um, subhanAllah, that they go and, you know, use their money for this cause to help educate and just to facilitate uh, enrichment to these to these uh, brothers and sisters that are incarcerated. May Allah reward them, may Allah reward the entities, the masajid that, you know, help out those that are that are in need. And this is without a doubt someone that is, you know, whether wrongly convicted or like you said, they made a mistake and uh, they're trying to do their best. And we should be those that help and assist in good and piety. Question. What was amongst the, I, I know there's many, but if you could share with the world, what was a profound moment that you encountered as a chaplain in the prison system? Uh, there's so many. I know, man. That's why I said amongst <laughs> them. I know it's hard to pick one, but, you know. You know, subhanAllah, every single day that I go, and I actually spent the, today, every Wednesday I spend in prison, so I was there all day today. Um, I remember... A uh, story of subhanAllah, there's so many, but you know, one of them that sticks out was this old man. He was like 69 years old, I think, if I remember correctly, he was 69 years old. And this was pre COVID. Um, I went in to lead Jummah. So, what I do is like I lead Jummah in the masjid and then I drive straight to the prison and I lead like three or four different Jummahs in different units over there as well. As many as I can until Asr time is about to enter. So one of these brothers, he's from another country, 
Um, and I'm going to be very vague because I'm not allowed to like, I have to keep it very confidential. Right. Sure, sure. Um, but he, um, subhanAllah, you know, he, <laughs> he came to Canada uh, to basically, this is what he's telling me, right. To, to bring drugs into the country. Right. He was, and he didn't know it was drugs, whether he's telling me the truth or not. I don't know. Um, but he's like, you know, his wife is really old and he didn't have the money to help his wife to get the health care that she needed. So he agreed to transport these drugs into Canada. And um, when he landed in Canada, he got caught in the airport. So they arrested him there. And they're like, did you know that this was in your bag? He's like, yes, I did. And they're like, okay, you know, it's illegal. He's like, yes, I know. But my wife is really sick and I need the money. And if I don't get her this treatment, she's going to die. Okay. They arrest him. They put him in prison. He's 69 years old. Right. He's coming from like South America. Um, when I meet him, I'm like, were you always Muslim? He goes, no. And he's like, that's the beautiful thing about it. He said, I had to commit a crime in order to be arrested to end up in jail in Canada, in a country that's not even mine, to meet a Muslim cellmate who gives me da'wah, and now I'm a Muslim. He said, I don't even care about the money anymore. I feel that what I gained is far better than what I set out to achieve. And he's like, the beautiful thing about it as well is that he goes, now that I found Allah, my taqwa leads me to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for her to be cured. And he's like, I've been making dua ever since I became Muslim. And he's like, Alhamdulillah, she's so much better. She didn't even need any medical assistance. He hasn't seen her. Well, at the time he didn't see her. He's like, all I do is call her like every couple of weeks. And he's like, she's perfectly fine. She's not sick anymore. Alhamdulillah, you know, she's good. And he's like, I found Islam and I had to go and do this in order to, to become a Muslim. So it was just like a slap in the face, you know, where we are sometimes raised in Muslim families, right? Some of us born in Muslim families, some of us, you know, like my mother embraced Islam about a year and a half before I was born. And you become a Muslim or, you know, you're raised as a Muslim, you take it for granted. And you just never think, you never value your deen. You know, you don't value your iman that Allah chose you to be a Muslim. I remember when we were students in Medina, our teachers used to tell us the most valuable thing that you have is Islam. And subhanAllah, when you like start to work in the fields and you start like meeting people and talking to people, you realize like, Alhamdulillah, such a blessing. Ya Allah, never take it away from me. Right? Ya muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala deenik. You know, don't ever allow me to leave this deen. Because look at what people had to do in order to find Islam. And we just have it. We have it all around us. So, yeah, this is one story. There's so many, though, subhanAllah. You know. Um, beautiful, beautiful. That's an amazing story. Sheikh, you had a, an ayah that you wanted to reflect on, or a few ayahs I believe you wanted to reflect on. So go ahead, inshallah. I think it's actually related to our topic in a way. Yeah, um, Surah Al-Duha was, you know, when you asked me to figure out what I'd want to share, an ayah or hadith, there's always times in life where it changes, right? Like, 
you lean more towards certain ayat or certain hadith, you know, this is relevant to you in your life right now. Uh, but subhanAllah, when I think of Surah Al-Duha, it's always a powerful surah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like communicating to the Prophet وسلم, uh, who was raised as an orphan child, right? And, you know, we, I mean, people can read through the surah, I know uh, it takes time, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, in the third ayah, مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى Your Lord didn't abandon you, right? Why Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abandon you? He created you, right? And so a lesson there for people who are going through hardship, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was going through extreme hardship, far worse than what we were going through at multiple times in his life. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't abandon him. And then when you think of it as a child as well, like the amount of sisters that come into my office and they're like begging for me to convince their husband not to divorce them. And I'm like, sister, sometimes some things are better for you, right? Like if your husband is so evil, like I remember, subhanAllah, some of the things, like I don't, I don't know, sometimes I want to share these things to the community, but sometimes I feel like we should just conceal what's happening. Uh, for the sake of respecting, you know, the people who are committing these sins. But without mentioning names, like some sisters, their husbands are sleeping with prostitutes and they're still staying with their husband, right? Like uh, one sister, her husband, uh, in order for them to be intimate, he has to watch pornography. So he tells her, you know, turn around. And, you know, they're intimate backwards, basically, right? And he's watching something else, envisioning himself with another woman in on the TV screen while he is being intimate with his wife. And she's like, I'm okay with it as long as he's my husband. I'm like, how? You know, and then in addition to that, there's drugs and there's alcohol. And these are things that, like, exist in our Muslim communities, and people don't realize it. And so sometimes sisters need a way out and they feel, they know that divorce is the right way out for them, but they're too scared to take that step because it's understandable. You know, you may have never worked. You're a stay-at-home mother. You know, you, you're worried about the cost of things in Canada and being alone. And you might not even have family here, right? A lot of Muslims in Canada came from other countries and they're first generation. So they have no one, no one here in Canada to look after them. All of their relatives are back home in some other country. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى وَلَا الْآخِرَةُ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى Right? That the hereafter is better for you. Focus on the hereafter. What does that mean? That means whatever sacrifice I need to make now for the sake of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let me do it. As hard as it's going to be, because the reward in the hereafter is far greater. And so alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I can get through it. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of the Prophet sallallahu He wouldn't abandon him. He's not going to abandon me. Because the lesson we get there is that we follow the Prophet sallallahu No matter how hard it is, Allah will always help us. Um, you know, other examples from the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alam yajidka yatiman fa'awa. You know, the Prophet ﷺ was an orphan. The Prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Didn't I find you as an orphan? You were an orphan. 
What's an orphan? You have no mother, no father. You know, some in the example of the sisters that need this support, you know, need to hear something positive, something motivating. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of your children. You know, the number one excuse that sisters give to stay in their marriage is, I'm staying in this marriage for the sake of the children. Stay in the marriage for the sake of pleasing Allah. The moment that there's no pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala coming out of your marriage, then something's wrong in this marriage, right? So staying there for the sake of the children is not always, in, and in my experience, almost always the wrong reason to be staying in that marriage. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will look after your children. And I always like to use the example of uh, the uh, the Quebec City mosque shooting that happened uh, a few years ago here in Canada. Um, the six brothers that were shot, you know, I met all of the families. I went to their houses, uh, sat with their children. I actually did like counseling sessions with them and set up activities for their children months for a few months after uh, the incident happened just to like help their children and, and make them feel loved and, and so on. Uh, and I always use the example of uh, Brother Yusuf. Brother Yusuf was one of the brothers praying in the front row of the masjid the night the shooting happened. And there was another brother who was leading the salah. That brother was shot in the leg. When the shooter came in, he started shooting and he shot the imam in the leg. The, the imam's daughter was standing on the end of the front saf. And when she saw her dad shot, she started running towards her dad. And the shooter is just like going nuts. Brother Yusuf takes the daughter and huddles over her like a human shield, wow. putting his own life at risk in order to protect her. So he tells us afterwards, and we actually recorded this in a documentary. He says, we always think that we are the ones who raise our children and we need to be there to protect them. He's like, I never in my life thought that I would be protecting this girl on that night and never thought that I would put my, my life in that situation. But he also says that the children of the fathers who died that night, who were martyred that night, their children will live and Allah will raise them. And Allah will take care of them. And they will be okay. And it's us that we need to worry about. And so when you come back to this surah, you know, and talking about people that are stuck in their lives and going through hardship, take care of yourself. Because if you can't take care of yourself, how do you expect to take care of your children? How do you expect to take care of anyone around you? So you need to look after yourself. You need to help yourself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu you know, he found the Prophet وسلم, you know, in need, in need of guidance, and he guided him. We should never think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never guide us, right? Allah will always guide us if we turn to him seeking his guidance. But people sit back sometimes and say, oh, Allah is never helping me. That's not the way to ask the help of Allah. Allah says, call upon me, I will answer you. So don't, don't blame Allah help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala submit like fully submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you'll find the help of Allah coming to you 
Um, and then, you know, at the end of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرْ وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرْ وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ So don't oppress the orphan or, you know, repulse the beggar. Uh, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and proclaim, let people know the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, we have a golden opportunity to help other people in like, you know, what we were talking about earlier, that will be a means of goodness in our life. Like the happiness you get from helping people who are in need is a happiness that no money can buy. Because you can, here's an example, going back to prison, subhanAllah, an inmate after Jumu'ah one day, I, you know, anytime, every time I've led Jumu'ah without fail, when I finish the salah, I turn around and all the inmates are literally just crying tears, like their faces are just covered in tears. And one of the inmates, he says, Sheikh, I have a question. I'm like, what? He goes, I don't know what time it is to pray my salah. Because there's no clock and I have no window in my cell. I can't tell the time of the day or the night. I don't know when it's dhuhr. I don't know when it's fajr. I don't know when it's maghrib. And he's like, I just want to be able to tell time. And I was like, subhanAllah, look at that. Like how many of us, like we wear watch, I got a watch on, I have another watch over here. You got, you know, on the corner of your screen, you have your time, you know, on that device, on your phone, wherever, you got time everywhere. All he wants is to be able to tell time. And there's ways, of course, for the inmates to do it. Like they ask the guards, guards come by every half an hour. So if the guard says it's 10 o'clock, the next time they come is going to be 10.30. The next time they come is going to be 11. There's ways for them to figure it out. But he just wants ease in knowing I'm praying my salah on time. <laughs> That's it. That's his blessing. That's what he wants. And he's like, I just want to pray my salah on time. I don't want to be late. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us like, you can help people by simply telling them what time it is. But we take it for granted. You know? And so I just wanted to share that, you know, with us because I feel especially here in my community, you know, there's COVID, these last two years have been really tough. I know in the United States, you know, Sheikh Abdullah, things have been opened up a lot easier and quicker. But here in Canada, like we're still praying six feet apart from each other in the masjid, you know, temperature checks, masks on, prayer mats. And it's just like, subhanAllah, when is this going to end? And because of that, like families have broken up, you know, children have started to reveal things about their lives to their parents. Parents are stressed out of their minds and everyone is like looking for some hope. So what I wanted to share was, you know, in this surah, go and read it. You'll find, you know, people who are in need, you'll find the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah didn't abandon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he won't abandon you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. I mean, I mean, I mean. <laughs> It's beautiful. Um, definitely a lot for us to think about and, <clears throat> and consider. And uh, yeah, uh, subhanAllah. You know, what, what, just one of the things that kind of went back to what you were talking about earlier is like the example of the brother or the family that's being held back because they're just holding on to that dunya, that house that's actually, you know, bringing them hardship. And yet, um, 
if they were to let go of that, let go of that dunya, they would get like that peace and, and just trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, just like you said, Allah Azawajal, you know, takes care of the Prophet and you know uh, implies in this verse that he'll take care of us as well. And that was, that was something that's very beautiful. Um, Sheikh, you want to play rapid fire questions? Oh man, those are all the scariest, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. It's easy. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's start off easy. Uh, chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Okay. okay. Shea or coffee? Coffee. Really? Hmm. I pegged you as a Shea guy. I, I, you know, I never really liked coffee until after I graduated from Medina and I moved to Malaysia and I became a father and I was doing my master's. I was living in a country where my wife has never left Canada before and I lost my scholarship and I was broke and I was sleeping like two hours a night, every single night for, for like months on end. And I'm like, I need coffee. <laughs> I started drinking coffee. <laughs> like everything just went downhill. So Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Uh, mountains or oceans? Oceans. Hmm. Even right. though I have a fear of being on water, I love walking by a beach. It's like the most soothing thing for me ever. Can you can you swim? Yeah, alhamdulillah. I just don't like being on boats. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Uh, Favorite city, but you can't choose Mecca or Medina because that's too easy. What's your favorite city? Why are you going to do this to me, man? <laughs> um, Kuala Lumpur. Hmm. Oh, inshallah. Inshallah, it's a beautiful nice. city. Yeah. I was going to ask, the other question I was going to ask was like, what's, what's the most beautiful place you've seen? But I guess same question. Langkawi. No, no, I wouldn't say Langkawi is the most beautiful. I don't know. I've been so many places. Hmm. You know what? Uh, one of the one of the most beautiful places is like um, north of Vancouver in the mountains. There, in the middle of winter, you have like these pine trees that are 150 feet high, covered in snow. And it's like completely silent, completely silent. Like sound just doesn't travel. And it's so beautiful. You have a contrast of like the dark green trees and the white snow. And it's just like amazing. Is that, amazing. Is that on the way from Vancouver to Whistler? Yeah. 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 We were talking about that last <laughs> last session. <laughs> it is a very beautiful place. You got to check it out. <laughs> yeah, I got to check that out. It's so long. It's so long. All right. What language do you wish you knew? Whew. Portuguese. <laughs> I thought you would have spoken it. <laughs> no, I'm 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 learning. <laughs> <laughs> I am a citizen right. of Portugal, but <laughs> wow. Okay. So, uh... Okay. What is the most interesting thing you've ever tasted or, or eaten? Durian? I knew you were going to say that. I <laughs> knew you were going to say that. I knew it. You got to import it. 
Can I you explain that? Really to like, that? I, I love durian. I, I love durian. It's amazing. If you eat durian, I don't know. Most people can't eat it. It took me two years to, to be able to put it in my mouth. But if you can get from your hand past your nose, <laughs> actually into your lips, and then when you press your tongue to your palate, it's like really? amazing. absolutely amazing. But then the second thing would be, uh, actually might switch it up on my list, sushi in Tokyo. Unbelievable. Mm, really? Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, I love sushi. Man. Sushi in Tokyo is not like sushi. Like you can't find that kind of sushi anywhere else. Really? Huh. They, they just, I've heard that before from other people. But Yeah, they use these herbs that are like native to Japan and they put it in the food and you, it's just like flavor explosions happening in your mouth and it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Durian, like the everyone in the chat is like, yay, we're from Malaysia. Thank you for liking Durian. Oh, yeah. Let people know what Durian is, man. Is it, it, what is it, what, let the people know. Because when I was in Malaysia, that's when I was introduced to it as well. And it's like, you go by elevators and it has a picture yeah, of Durian. It has a no sign, like it's illegal. <laughs> well, yeah. That's the same. Oh, like man. every every hotel is like, you can't bring it in here. Like, signs. Like, it's yeah. the king of all fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, what kind of, what kind of fruit is that? Can you like explain for those? So who it's like it, it kind of looks like a, a a spiky melon, but you don't eat the outside of it. You take a machete and you chop it in half, and you like crack it and pry it open. It's really really hard to open. Um, but on the inside, there's like this gooey, pasty, yellowy, sticky, very stinky, nasty smell that comes out of it. <laughs> and it smells like rotten garlic that was fried with onions and eggs and everything else in between. Wow. <laughs> and And it's so potent that like when you smell it in the supermarket before being cut open, you're like, Oh my God, I'm avoiding this store. I'm not even going there. It's almost like, like laxa laxa is like next level fermented shrimp paste, nasty smell. But Sheikh Abdullah is like, why are we talking about this? <laughs> but um, when you can finally stomach putting your fingers on the, the middle part of the durian, the yellow part, it's so mushy and gooey and sticky getting it close to your face feels like there's like a radiation coming out of it and it's going to burn your skin off. Like, honestly, that's, that's what's going on in my head. It's like, Oh, I'm putting this radiating torture fruit in my mouth. <laughs> and so that's why it took me two years before I could even try it. Cause anytime I'd bring it close to me, I'd feel like something's happening to me and it's wrong. <laughs> but if you can get it on your tongue and then just close your mouth, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. It, the, the flavor, you like, why does Allah make it smell this bad when it tastes this good? <laughs> SubhanAllah. Wow. SubhanAllah. <laughs> wow. You have to earn it. Now, I feel like I got to go back and eat it now. Inna ma'al usri yusra. Inna ma'al usri. Oh, man. Uh, so I, guess it I guess it takes a level of iman to eat it, huh? It's <laughs> That's why only the Muslims enjoy it. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Sheikh, what job would you be the worst at? <laughs> Coding. <laughs> Coding. <laughs> just because it's boring or? I just don't know anything about it. I'm really good at the matrix stuff. I can picture ones and zeros in my head, but I can't figure out what on earth is going on on those sentences. All right. Um, are you the kind of person who can sleep on an airplane? Nope. Oh, me too. <laughs> I'm just too tall and I have a lower back issue from sitting in too many economy seats. <laughs> so yeah, it's just so painful being on the plane. Uh, I love flying though. Absolutely love it, but can't sleep on the plane. Uh, what was your first job? Uh, Wow. I used to work for my dad. Uh, my dad's a welder, but if I could consider it a job job, uh, I used to work at a Persian carpet store, handmade Persian carpets. Huh. I used to deliver, the them, and... deliver them, pick them up, wash and clean them, as well as work in the showroom uh, showing them crazy work it's so hard it it kills your knuckles all your skin peels off it's not easy wow. it's hard work that was i think my first official job and then i worked at delivering pizza and then worked at avis and then worked at ups <laughs> i washed cars for avis car rentals <laughs> staying busy good oh man all right last question <clears throat> what superpower do you wish you had invisibility <laughs> that's so that people don't bother you with questions <laughs> yeah man just to go places and be left alone <laughs> it's a blessing from Allah we don't have that many questions from the chat this time um Trying to look up, see what we have. Here's just a couple of fifty questions. Maybe we'll just answer them. Uh, so this is from Salam Alaikum. Uh, please, what's the ruling on ladies re reading Quran when off salah? Jazakallah khair. I guess when when they're not uh, praying. Nah, Sheikh Abdullah is my senior. You can't do this to me. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's like, oh, it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Honestly, like. Uh, people don't know, but I looked up to you so much when we were in Medina. I was like, subhanAllah, this brother has everything that, you know, a North American student needs. SubhanAllah, he's got the smile. He's got, he's like the only American, no, not the only American, like literally a handful of American students that reached out to non-American students and made us feel like we'll be okay. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Man, you know, I never told you, but the first time I saw you after you left Medina and I left Medina, I was like in tears, man. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. <laughs> I think it was, it was in Malaysia, I believe we met, right? I think it was in Malaysia, yeah. 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 I saw how big biceps got, mashallah, tabarakallah. <laughs> I was like trying to. I'm I'm tall, man. I couldn't get my arms around you. <laughs> I'm like, 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you safe and, and protect you and, and your family always. You and yours, you and yours too, man. It was really good seeing you, Malaysia, man. MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I mean, if I could humbly answer this, uh, what's the ruling on ladies reciting the Quran? As long as you're not touching the Quran, uh, you know, I follow the opinion of the scholars that they can recite the Quran from memory uh, or from looking, you know, if you use a device as well. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay. Um, other comments like, wait, he is half Portuguese, subhanAllah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually, so my wife and I have been contemplating moving to Portugal. Um, yeah, just the weather is a lot nicer. <laughs> it's more centrally located. It's closer to Mecca and Medina, closer to Malaysia. Um, That's true. But yeah, what we, so we homeschool our children. And uh, what we really want to do is like tour all across, not only Europe, but all of Africa. I love Africa. Like a brother, even just the other day on Saturday, we were talking about, you know, how things are in Canada and, you know, where, where do Muslims go? Like, what is the ideal place for Muslims to live on earth other than Mecca and Medina? And my answer to them is anywhere in Africa. SubhanAllah, like I love Africa. I've been to I've been to Nigeria, I've been to South Africa dozens of times. I've been to uh Kenya. Um I just love Africa. I love the people there. I you know, everyone feels like your brother and sister, whether they're Muslim or not. And they actually call you brother, you know, it's like my brother. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I feel good, man. I feel like you gave me a hug just by saying that. And subhanAllah, you know, I remember I remember the first time I ate at Nando's in the Johannesburg airport. And there's like these, you know, these women working there. And, you know, they have like their hairnets on and stuff. And they're like double, maybe even triple my age at the time. And they're like, yes, my brother, what do you want? I'm like, my sister, I would love to have that meal you know and i tell her and i was just so happy to call them my sister <laughs> yeah. yeah that's just amazing absolutely amazing subhanallah yeah i don't even know how we got into that oh yeah we're talking about country. yeah so my wife and I, like we want to just take the girls uh to different countries to tour and to to spend time there uh and to learn from the people and help the people like my first roommate in um in Medina is from Niger, which is just north of the Niger River. So you have Nigeria, just north of it is Niger. And this roommate of mine, subhanAllah, he speaks French and I speak French. So he was like, he was he was my blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when I got to Medina as a student, because I was in building one with six students in a room and no partitions in between us. Sheikh Abdullah probably remembers building one. Of course, man. Of course. <laughs> And uh, subhanAllah, he spoke French and I was out of touch with him from 2007 until July 1st last year. Whoa. Like randomly, I tried so hard to find him, to get in touch with him, emailing through like friends of his who I used to send emails to to get documents and stuff because they live like real poor. And subhanAllah, just to get that experience and, you know, I'd love for my daughters and my wife to to visit him and visit his family and just see the villages and like the traditional style and subhanAllah, to me, that's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. I love it. I love Africa. Absolutely love it. <laughs>
سبحان الله ما شاء الله ما شاء الله تبارك الله الحمد لله الله this maybe leads into what you were saying I mean I don't know what the housing prices are like in Portugal but a lot deeper in here I don't I don't think you can even answer this question the question is for our podcast podcast listeners uh, please tell us about buying a house without interest in Canada and honestly Sheikh if you know the answer I'd love to know it as well <laughs> Cash. <laughs> Cash. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know or... what, the, what the prices are in Portugal, Sheikh, if you're planning to uh, there. So you can buy a fixer upper. You can you can buy like a piece of land with a with a really old stone house on it for as low as like fifteen thousand euro uh, dollars, uh, about ten eleven thousand euros. Uh, you can buy a nice small house that you can immediately live in. Um, that uh, you know, needs a little work for as low as like twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars um, on the countryside. Yeah. Wow, so, uh, wondering why I'm living here? That's that's. <laughs> you can get <laughs> a really, really nice, modern, you know, beautifully renovated small house for a hundred grand. Really nice, newly done, entirely new. So, like, what are we doing here, man? Well, and of course, if you go into the cities, it's a little more expensive, right? Like if you're living in Lisbon and Porto and the bigger cities, it's it's more yeah. expensive, obviously. But, you know, the countryside, you can get a nice house with lots of land and orange and fig trees. And subhanAllah. What are we Whoa. doing here? Olive trees. Name it. Time to get out of our comfort zone, man. Get me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Mashallah. Uh, here's a good question to end on. Um, uh, brother, is there anything in your life you believe you could have done better? Maybe just like general advice, something you know you would say to your younger self. What kind of advice would you give your younger self? Um, I think it's always just time. Use your time wisely. You know, a lot of us feel like we have used our time wisely, but I think we could have been a little more strategic in the way that we used our time. Yeah, you know, manage your time a lot better, inshallah. Um, especially as I get older um, and settled in a community, also because of COVID, like I hate being settled. Like I, I wish I could just, I've got to be careful what I wish for, but you know, <laughs> I, I feel comfortable living out of a suitcase <laughs> in the sense that I love, I love traveling. I love to be a traveler. So you know, managing your time better, but also if I could have maybe traveled more with my wife and travel, have the opportunity to do that as well when I was younger and also with my family. I think that's important. SubhanAllah, travel broadens the mind. Absolutely. Well, I know we took up a lot of your time. We really appreciate you, know, you being with us and honestly, like the stories you, you shared with us, especially the stories from prison are are really powerful and amazing stories, mashallah. And Jazakallah khair for being with us. And hopefully we can have you back in the future. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair for having me. It was a pleasure. Forgive me if I said anything wrong uh, or insulting anyone or anyone's culture or anything of that sort. Uh, this is not my intention at all. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us to, to see each other again soon, especially in Texas where it's really cold. <laughs> 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 May Allah bless you, man. It was really, really good seeing you, man. I love you, brother. May Allah bless you. You and your oh, family, man.
quick question though before we go there was a brother as well from the u.s was it abdul shaheed oh yeah abdul shaheed you know abdul shaheed yeah yeah he's still here he's he's right down the street um, he had like big big frame glasses yeah i will send him this he's 20 miles north of me man his wife and my wife are real good friends my wife know. was actually gonna take his wife to the airport today but because of the weather it kind of uh their kids are around the same age so mashallah, he's here. He's here. Him, Omar yeah. Hernandez, Omar Hernandez. Yeah, they're all over here. Yeah, and, and Issa. Yeah, Isa as well. Isa, yeah, Isa's in Houston. Isa Parada, yeah. Yeah, He's still here. mashallah. Yeah, give, give them my salam when you see them, especially of the Shaheed. Subhanallah. I haven't seen him yeah. since since he left Medina. And uh, yeah, like I said, we we looked up to you guys. Not not to say anything, you know, great about you to your face, but you know, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala kept you guys genuine and sincere, and you just treated us like brothers. And it really like holding back emotions, but it really helped us out. Alhamdulillah. I I don't compare, man. And I mean, anyone in our generation knows, and he deserves it, man. Abdul Shahid, man. Subhanallah, man. Like when anyone would come from anywhere, actually, but like from the West, he made it a point to take you to Bin Dawood, show you the Haram. Dushi was just, there was no one like him. Like, seriously, I mean, yeah, he deserves that respect because he was of the few that would show love as soon as you got off the plane, man. This was before, you know, we had all those uh, systems of helping the Westerners and stuff like that, subhanAllah. So, Jacques care for the kind words, and but mashallah, Dushi was on another level. Allah, you got May Allah bless you. Allah bless you, I mean, all right, Jazakallah Khair, Sheikh. We'll see you soon. Take care. Assalamu alaikum.